For most of my life, I've wondered how one effectively stands up for what one believes in without being seen as a troublemaker. And the illogic that's inherent in being told that you're the one making trouble when you're fighting to fix a wrong is something that struck me even as a young kid. I mean, I'll admit I was kicked out of school and class more than a few times, but, but if you want to find a tyrant, look no further than a public school. <laughs> While the va- okay, the vast majority of teachers are nice people, super nice people doing great work, okay? But there's a solid minority, and yes, they're often gym teachers. Stereotypes exist for a reason, whose egos are so fragile that they're violently threatened by those young minds whose grasp of the universe already exceeds theirs. And instead of connecting with them, instead of learning together, they try to push them down. And those kids who have the temerity to resist, they're called troublemakers, even though they're simply yelping from the beat down. We can't expect the youth to respect us if we don't respect them. (laughs) What the hell am I talking about? I'm not really sure. But after talking to this week's guest, Oliwa Newell, I'm finding myself all worked up. Oh, this is, this is me worked up. This is what I sound like. This is what I look like. I'm all like shoulders are crunched up and I'm, uh, anyway, <laughs> all worked up about how hard it is to try to fight for a nicer world when the world itself tells you that you can only stand up for what matters to you if you do it in a socially acceptable manner. I mean, can you imagine how few rights would have been won if activists adhered to Um, A rule like, at every turn and every utterance, one must remain constrained to current societal definitions of politeness or something like that. I'm just pulling that one out, but you get it. I mean, there goes MLK Jr. There goes Rosa Parks, Gandhi. um, Who's that teenage girl? The badass spitfire for Greta, Greta Thunberg, 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 Greta. There goes Greta, Susan B. Anthony. Pretty much all of the giants would have never stood up. Anyway, anyway, welcome to Nice Work, a podcast of the Super Nice Club, where we're just trying to make the world 10% nicer, by any means necessary. I'm your host, Todd Brilliant, and I'm, like I said, I'm worked up. I'm worked up. And this week's guest, who got me all worked up, is a wonderful human who goes by the name of Oliwa Newell, or Stefan or Sparkle, or whatever. What's important isn't his name, it's his work. But before we get to him, some some quick Super Nice Club stuff. Uh, If you're not sure about what the Super Nice Club is, join us, check us out, our website, superniceclub.com, at Super Nice Club on Instagram, Facebook. Uh, You can text, oh, oh, join our our nice, our Super Nice Insiders, but yeah, by texting us. Yes, I'm, I'm remembering. Text us, text something like nice work, or cool, or whatever you want to text, just some words, right now to 310-421-0393, 310-421-0393. That joins the Super Nice Club Insider community. You'll get invited to events. You'll get first access to stuff, local gatherings, uh, giveaways. Insiders win lots of free stuff. And it's not always Super Nice Club gear or swag. 
it's sometimes it's just weird art and stuff that I don't want anymore. Like graphic novels or Gravity Falls figurines. Um, been thinking about giving away some Houdini collectibles. Might throw those in. Some old pamphlets he wrote uh, like 100 years ago, pretty much, exposing the fraud of Madame Blavatsky. I, I love Houdini. If you love Houdini, that's just that's a reason alone to join the Insiders. <laughs> um, if you want me to text, you can ask for a discount code on our hats, shirts, stickers, all that stuff, so you can help spread the word in your community around this simple idea of making the world a nicer place. In fact, here's the cool money back guarantee part. If your nice merchandise doesn't help start nice conversations, yeah, you can get your money back, no problem. Um, oh, oh, we just got, yes, they're so cool. These, we got Super Nice Club guitar picks. Seriously, they're they're dope. They're creamy white with psychedelic colors um, and they're, they're guitar pick shaped. And when you hold them, they pick guitars. Four for two bucks. Four for two bucks. And if you're not playing guitar like um, Eddie Hazel in just 20 years, you can get your money back. Okay, back to the guest, Oliwa. Oliwa is an accomplished musician and yogi who has been exploring, questioning, and practicing yoga for 20 years, which is crazy because he doesn't look 20 years old. He has performed in kirtan ensembles for decades. He's completed two 200-hour yoga teacher trainings with the Shivakali Yoga School. His yogic practice is inspired by his optimistic yet concerned perception of the state of our world and the beings by which it is inhabited. It is his hope that by learning to breathe, quieting the mind, oh man, I would love that, bringing flexibility and strength to the body and sharing a sense of connectedness, we as humans may be empowered to realize solutions to the problems we face. Amen, amen to that, I love that. Uh, and, and that we may live a life of deep joy, wild wonder, and gentle understanding. In addition to Oliwa's asana practice, his autodidactism, that's the first use of autodidactism uh, at Nice Work Podcast. Yeah, that's great. Woo! First use, autodidactism, auto, whatever I just said. Uh, his autodidactism has guided him on a learning adventure through Eastern and Western philosophy. Vipassana meditation. First use of Vipassana. Awesome. Vipassana meditation, nonviolent communication, ballet, modern dance, natural sciences, psychology, civics, and art. He's also a producer, musician, and DJ who has worked with some of the world's biggest and smallest, but still amazing, musicians and bands. So you're going to hear a cool discussion between us that jumps across the universe, all right, and, and bounces and cascades off topics from, um, what do we talk about? We just, I just got done talking to him. What do we talk about? Yoga, yoga, uh, burning trailers um, to staying present in, in both life and the recording studio, we talk, oh, we talk about the Heaven's Gate cult. Do you remember them? Crazy, mother. Mm. Crazy. Crazy. Or were they? Uh, we talk about the possibility of extraterrestrials within and uh, without, within and without. The differences between niceness and kindness. Um, and Stefan also introduces me to a crazy cool character named FM2030. You heard of this guy? You heard of FM2030? Am I the only one that hadn't? He was a um, Belgian-born, Iranian-American author, teacher, transhumanist, philosopher, futurist, consultant, and athlete. He was born in 1930, died in 2000, which is a super bummer. 
You'll figure out why in just a second. But he had an interesting take on names. Names. I'm interested in names too, especially middle names. I'm always interested in what people's middle names are. My middle name, I hated for years. I'm going on a little bit of a tangent here, but whatever. You're listening. Uh, it's Edwin. I always thought it was such a wimpy name, Edwin. But it's not anymore. Or it is, but I'm cool with it. Todd Edwin. What do you think? Todd Edwin. Is it sexy? Do you like it? I don't care. I do. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> FM 2030. He changed his name, and here's the reason why. I think it's fascinating, and, and you will too. Okay. Firstly, to reflect the hope and belief that he would live to celebrate his 100th birthday in the year 2030. Totally didn't happen. So changing your name to, to prolong your life, not a success tactic. Secondly, more importantly and interestingly, to break free of the widespread practice of naming conventions that he saw as rooted in a collectivist mentality and existing only as a relic of humankind's tribalistic past. Bingo. He viewed traditional names as almost always stamping a label of collective identity, varying from gender to nationality, on the individual, thereby existing as prima facie elements of thought processes in the human cultural fabric that tended to degenerate into stereotyping, factionalism, and discrimination in his own words, conventional names define a person's past, ancestry, ethnicity, nationality, religion, I am not who I was 10 years ago, and certainly not who I will be in 20 years. The name 2030 reflects my conviction that the years around 2030 will be a magical time. In 2030, we will be ageless, and everyone will have an excellent chance to live forever. 2030 is a dream and a goal. Cool, right? I mean, I'm not sure about the last part. I'm thinking maybe by 2030, we'll be closer to Mad Max if we don't get our selfish consumptive shit together. But on the name thing, pretty intriguing. Pretty neat thoughts there. Anyway, lastly, Stefan and I, Oliwa, Sparkles and I, have an awkward, possibly offensive, if you're really into astrology, exchange around what to do when someone asks you what your sign is. And, and you want to be polite, but you also want to stick up for science, but you want to respect that, that this new person is sharing a part of their worldview that is dear to them. Tricky convo, right? And, of course... We finish up by wondering how to actively defend a nicer world without being called an asshole, without getting kicked out of class. Stefan is someone you should get to know. I'm glad that I'm starting to. So turn off everything else, tune out the rest of the world, and drop in to nice work with the man of many names. Hey, welcome to Nice Work. Now, you're the first guest that I haven't said, hey, and then your name. Welcome to the Nice Work Podcast. Because, That's why I like it. Because there's some confusion around that for me. So why don't you introduce yourself? Um, right on. Hey, Todd. Brilliant. Thank you for having me on your podcast. I'm uh, Stefan Newell. I also go by Oliwa. A lot of friends call me Oliwa. Yeah. And there's probably other, other sounds out there that I also go by. And weirdly... And maybe not in a way that I completely understand. This seems to be a long-term part of my life that there's something just cloud-like about my identity. And it's felt like just a kind of an ongoing exploration throughout my life. It's kind of just like those questions we started our conversation with. Who am I? What am I going to do today? These questions kind of feel pretty continuously fresh for me. And uh, sometimes that's kind of led to these different weird sounds becoming like just, you know, part of how I'm being called as I've traveled around and 
Uh, the gist of it is, though, that uh, Stefan, I was born Stefan Oliver Newell, and I uh, went by mostly by Stefan or Stefan th uh, through my childhood. And then when I moved away from Texas, where I grew up, I started going by Oliver, my middle name, just as a way to kind of like, well, what would it be like to hear your, myself be referred to as something different? And also there was a confusion between Stefan and Stefan, and I kind of stepped deeper into confusion by adopting this Oliver. And then uh, when I moved out to... I lived in Hawaii for a while also, and there they used the sound oliwa to refer to uh, Olivia or Oliver or Olive. And at that time I was kind of especially in some kind of, like kind of, uh, I don't know, like, like just this transy existence or something. And I was also inspired by, uh, have you ever heard of FM 2030? This person? Um, no. There's a couple things that inspired me, but... FM 2030 was this person who, uh, in the I think in the 1940s, very much ahead of the time, decided to change their name to FM 2030. And his idea was that names tend to have so much baggage. You hear someone's name, you assume their gender, you, you might assume their culture, you might assume even their class, these kinds of things. And what happens if we kind of like take some of that away and you know, just meet them with with a little bit less presumption, invitation to kind of make the assumptions. You know, I've, I've kind of softened on that in a lot of ways. I think that it's kind of beautiful that names do carry kind of this cultural representation and family lineage and all that, I, and I like all that. But I think that I'm also interested, you know, it's almost like meeting someone at the nude beach or whatever, and like when you guys sh show up, you don't know what kind of clothes you wear, and there's like a little bit just like more space to be human beings. The nude beach thing. I hadn't thought about that before. You could just tell from somebody's haircut, maybe. Sometimes, yeah. Yeah. Um, and you still yeah. you still gather things so quickly. As human beings, we're just made to do that, to just start absorbing and start putting it together. How does this person fit in with other things that I've experienced and learned? And, like, we kind of start quickly making assumptions. And maybe part of the project of niceness is being a little bit slower, being a little bit more self-aware so that we're kind of less prone to make assumptions about other people and start to kind of meet people in this more dynamic, exciting way. Um, but yeah, just to, to finish my little spiel, I I'm mostly do music, music production, music recording, music writing, all kinds of stuff in music, and I use Oliwa as my music moniker. And I've also started kind of hosting yoga events in the past couple of years, and and using Oliwa in that domain. And a lot of my friends just call me Oliwa, and I, I like it, but sometimes uh, for kind of, I don't know, norm core existence. I also have Stefan, and that's like more, my more intimate at-home name. I think I met you, I know I met you as Oliwa. It was years ago at, and I was asking Andy Twyman, shout out to Andy. Andy, I love you. Um, Me too. I know you're listening, buddy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> had a great conversation with you, which made me think of Oliwa, which is why we're doing this, this podcast right now. So thank you for that, Andy. I met you at a He's My Brother, She's My Sister show. Uh -huh. Up in Northern California, isn't that right? I think so. Yeah. Was that the yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the the Big Sur one? Um, I want to say it was in. For some reason, I want to say it was in Napa, but it could have been in. Big oh, Sur. okay, yeah. Anyway, the Kolars, who we should get on as as a guest one of these days. Totally. Yeah, it's super super nice people. Super nice. Welcome. We got that down. Okay. Welcome, Oliwa, Stefan, <sighs> Stefan, <laughs> Oliver, <laughs> Sparkles too. Sparkles, yeah, Newell. <laughs> Welcome. You're in Ojai, right? I'm in Ojai, yeah. What a great place to be. I love being here, yeah. I've been here about eight years now. Life just kind of delivered me here, and I've stayed somehow. 
And is that community everything that, that we hear, just this gentle, kind, embracing Ohio community? Or Well, you know, yes. And I mean, it's very new agey. I'm a new age adjacent, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to like insult it, but it's got that kind of far out flavor, which I quite like, but, uh, you know, there's some, there's some challenges to it. I, I think a lot of people here are prone to what I might bluntly refer to as conspiracy theories, which I don't think are necessarily so nice, but that's beside the point. You know, the, there's like a, there's a freedom of thought in that way. And I think that part of the problem with having such a unique, vibrant place is that the sometimes it's natural for people probably of all dispositions to kind of start resenting the other and so there's kind of like this mainstream disdain which doesn't resonate with me uh, i get it i spent 20 years not far from sebastopol uh-huh which is similar in that way yeah and it's also a beautiful area you know and the people are great but yeah that it is interesting when you get i I love the term "new age adjacent." By the way, I got it. That's I'm adding that to my <laughs> my lexicon. When you get clickish with your beliefs, no matter what they are, no matter what they do, tend to we yeah, we just tribalize, right? Sure, that's what we do. That's mm-hmm. what we do as a species. So you do a lot of music production and your own music for a ton of bands, and you mentioned that you've been doing yoga. And is this right? It's Shiva Kali Yoga School. Shiva Kali Yoga School. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. And you've done a lot of training. You do a lot of stuff. I've You're done, like a real yoga master. Well, yeah, some, maybe something. I, I don't know if I'd, I'd own that title. I kind of, and I studied, I, at one point I was a minor in philosophy in college. Mm-hmm. And I kind of originally approached yoga more through the kind of the philosophical lens. But I uh, have always been a little bit confused by elements of it and... You know, just trying to make sort of the Bhagavad Gita and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, wait, what does this actually mean and how does it apply to my life? I've long been interested in, like, how can I and we cultivate more of a sense of connection? How can I support other people feeling just more connected to their life, to the world that we all share? And um, I've also enjoyed just kind of dabbling in yoga since, you know, the late 90s I've been... In high school, I had a group of buddies, and we would go explore different kinds of spirituality and stuff. And we kind of walked into a yoga studio at some point, and and I've and I've been interested in it. I like the practices, the asana practices, and I like philosophy. And that was kind of enough for for a long time. And then through DJing, I connected with this guy Serge Bandura, who's my yoga teacher. We have many mutual friends, and we've been kind of we were kind of close for years before we really ever got to know each other and then we met each other and had an instant connection and he invited me to come be part of my first yoga teacher training out on the big island maybe four years ago now three years ago and with some hesitation I decided to go the hesitation not having anything to do with him but just like oh I'm gonna go to this place like I mentioned I'm new age adjacent emphasis on the adjacent sometimes and will, will I fit in or will I be more of a kind of a compromise to the group if, you know, if the conversation's going here or there? I've done, like, I, I've been to various meditation retreats and workshops and lots of spiritual stuff. And I often find that I can get, like, kind of hung up on the language if it gets into a certain, like, when the people start making claims about the world, I'm a naturalist and... 
sometimes I'm like, ah, do I have to believe this stuff? Or do we need to talk about this stuff to actually cultivate that feeling of connection? And divinely, this school happens to be very accommodating to different perspectives. Uh, the Shiva Kali school is, is all about bringing diversity into yoga, both kind of uh, racial, gender, uh, identity kind of diversity, age diversity, but also kind of worldview diversity is a big part of what we're trying to cultivate. And there's almost a way where you can start to get closer to the essence of, of what we're going for when you do have that pluralistic kind of experience, like, cause it, it's an opportunity to, pe to peel away those differences and like get more at the core, you know, and if you're, if you're in a group of people who really share a lot of the same worldview, that's also supportive, but it tends to be isolating for that group. And I find that the kind of more just, you know, that, that all the, all the happy ways and complicated ways in which we have different experiences that lead us all to understand the world in different ways, um, is useful and actually kind of really connecting to a larger sense of what we are rather than kind of zooming in on the specialness of who our little group is. So it sounds kind of like the uh, the yoga world version of the Unitarian church. Yeah, something yeah, like that. You know, yeah. Unitarians, uh, shout out to Bill McKibben. Shout out my to the favorite, uh, yeah. My favorite Unitarian. Um, he's an environmental hero, 350.org. So let me ask you this then. Okay. Since the Super Nice Club is working somehow, member by member, everybody gets their own version, to try to make the world 10% nicer mm -hmm. or more. If, in your mind, if, if a community or the world practiced yoga, let's just call it Shiva Kali Yoga, yeah. because that's where you're at, do you think that would do it? Would that be the trick? Would, would that get us the whole 10%? Mm -hmm. um, that's a fun question. I guess one of the things that we'd have to iron out before I could confidently answer that question, which I won't. Um, <laughs> but the, uh, what, what is yoga is, you know, yoga is this like thousands of years old negotiation. This group disagrees with that group and then they become this group and they disagree with that group. And just like Western philosophy, the, the Eastern philosophies are just kind of a, a whole exciting series of disagreements and transcendences and transformations. And like, it just kind of keeps unfurling. And what a lot of people, you know, when we're doing yoga now, the different teachers, different styles and stuff, like especially in the Western world, it, it's so varied. And even if it is just the basic kind of exercise and stretching, I think that exercise and stretching probably does help us be a little bit nicer, a little bit more connected to our bodies and that kind of stuff. If it's the kind of the, um, the spiritual beliefs and like these tools about kind of karma and how you know, how experience and our choices kind of fold into our perceptions and how that folds into our choices and leads to more experience. And uh, I think, I think, I hope that these kinds of conceptual tools are useful and could help us be nicer. And then where I really place most of my emphasis in my classes when I'm offering them is um, just cultivating presence, which we do by breathing and just staying in and out of the breath, then all of a sudden, if we practice in that space, the, the, uh, the hope is that when we go out into life and life arises in these dynamic, scary, frustrating, painful, beautiful, exhilarating ways, that we get to kind of stay present and actually make like more consistent, noble, playful, nice choices. Whatever it is that we're going for, 
I, I'd leave it to other people to frame it whether they want to use niceness or not. But I think that no matter what you're going for, it takes presence to get there. The ability to kind of more consistently show up moment by moment by moment, whether you want to work on music or create cynical memes or like there's so many things that people do now. And I think that it all is kind of part of the process of life moving forward. And I think that we get better at whatever we're trying to do if we can stay present while we're doing it. Uh, that's It's funny that you answer in that way. Just last night, I stumbled across, it's years old now video. It's got to be probably five years old video where an interviewer is asking Bill Murray, you know, if you could have anything right now, you know, or if you could do anything, what would it be? And, you know, it's Bill Murray. So you're just, he's mesmerizing to begin with. And he's sitting there chewing on it for a second. And he says, I just want to be more present, more in the moment, more right here, right now. Mm -hmm. And then he goes on to this, you know, spends the next five or 10 minutes talking about pretty much what you just said. Yeah. The struggle that he has of being consistently present mm -hmm. and how difficult that is as humans to be consistently present. And, and, and what does it mean to be present? When we say, yeah, be here now, you know, Baba Ram Das or the many people who have, who have said that over the thousands of years of disagreements and arguments, what does that feel like for people to, to experience? Like the, a lot of people, you ask them, you know, be present. Like, well, I'm present. I'm right <laughs> yeah, here. Sure. But there's, there's, this, there's this sort of ineffable thing that is being in the now. And so these yogic practices, I'm twisting your answer to, to fit a, a neat, compact nugget here that we're going to deliver and quote as from you. Uh, <laughs> that being in the present is a great way to make the world a nicer place. Yeah. If everybody could do it. And yoga is one great way, one great option for people to try to experience that. Mm -hmm. Fair enough? Fair enough. And the, yeah. the subtle refinement with the, the yoga, it's, it's not even about what we experience there. Like some, I've had some beautiful transcendent moments practicing yoga or meditating or something. But I think it's, it's really more about the emphasis on the practice. That we're just trying to get better at staying present. And we practice it at this kind of specific time. It's almost like when you're practicing scales for music. You're not making music right then. You're just practicing the scales. And that, but the more you practice that, the more that it just kind of integrates into who you are. And then when you're actually playing music, that stuff is just invisibly there. So it's not the yoga time itself it's the point of the yoga, from my point of view. Again, I'm just participating in this eons-long kind of exploration of what it could be. Um, but it's not the, the time that we're doing the yoga itself. It's, it's the thing that it's preparing us for, which is just living our life. And exactly like Sri Bill Murray said, <laughs> um, you know, who's just such... He's a great... What an amazing person to bring up, you know, because he is just, you know, from the little bit I know about him, just such a stellar human being. I love the way he lives. And um, being more consistently here, staying present in our life. Like, remembering that while we're having this conversation right now, that we're actually having it. Like, kind of staying here. And then, if for anyone who's listening, that they're not just passively listening and letting their mind wander and wander and wander. They're, they're like available to some small degree to kind of rein it in and keep their mind thinking about whatever it is that they want to be thinking about. It's a big challenge for podcast hosts, at least novice ones like myself, because you want to deliver a largely unedited 
interesting, engaging conversation sure. for listeners, right? So that they so that they do tune in and they, they are dropping what else they're doing. Oh, this is a really cool conversation. To do that, you want to make sure that the conversation touches certain topics, right? And you don't do that when you talk to your friend. You know, when you just go hang out, you and I are hanging out. We're not like, gosh, I got to make sure that I get this point in and that point in uh-huh, and that we sure. remark about this, that, and the other. So staying here, staying with you and trusting myself to be able to just have a freewheeling open conversation mm-hmm. that is of the moment, it's hard. I've found, and boy, like a lot of us, I could meditate a lot more consistently. Uh-huh. When I am meditating consistently on a daily basis, what I found to your point that is so beneficial, it's not necessarily that that beautiful clarity when you're coming out of it, you're charged and clear and clean better than any coffee. It's later in the day when I'm feeling scattered or some sort of anxiety, remembering to grab that moment again. Mm. You know, remember that feeling I had this morning when I when I stood up after meditating? I can have that. And the more you practice it, mm-hmm. like you're saying with the scales, mm-hmm. it's there, it's on tap. Mm-hmm. But the, the less I practice, the thinner my connection and memory of what that, that presence is like, mm-hmm. right? And it's harder for, to pull on that cord and bring it into the now, mm-hmm. you know? Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, if you're meditating, I think that's the beauty of it. It isn't the meditation so much. It's when you need that tool later to respond rather than react. I'm talking about my personal challenge, mm-hmm. you know, which used to be my screensaver, uh, respond, don't react, or something akin to that. Yeah. Uh, it, it really helps. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, so we're going to say 10% nicer absolutely through yoga and meditation. Okay, okay there we go. Yeah. I'd like to think, too, back to your point about hosting a professional podcast and, like, the kind of, like, the obligation to have the notes and whatnot. Yeah. I'd like to think that even with preparation and intentions and the rest of that, that there's still space to be spontaneous and sincere and engaging. And I, I think that you're a fabulous podcast host from what I'm gathering so far. I've only listened to a couple episodes of your podcast. Oh, thanks. And then now. But uh, yeah, and I'd say that there's a risk almost with the preparation that maybe some of the best stuff I here's a I'm just in general with you mentioned like conversations with friends and how they flow so often it is the case that people have things that they want to get to and that's uh-huh. why the conversation maybe doesn't get anywhere because the people are just changing the story to whatever they, they reference and then this free association oh once my cousin did this oh yeah well my and you know it just wanders around and doesn't really get to kind of go deeper into something because there's like a rushedness to get on to something else. So I, I think that preparing is fabulous and not preparing could be fabulous too. Anyone who's modeling conversations where they're, where they're listening and staying present with each other, no matter what they're talking about, I, can, I, I kind of am into it. And when people are talking over each other or talking past each other or trying to kind of like, kind of intentionally almost misperceive each other and kind of treat I'm always I'm almost always not into that even if it's my favorite subject one of the challenges that I was going to put out or will put out at some point in some way to the super nice club membership because I have it as a daily reminder on my phone Mm -hmm. Uh, I know it's so sad that I have to remind my like my personal evolution comes up as as 
phone reminders. It's, it's <laughs> pathetic. I'm owning it. It's just how it happens. Uh, it used to be uh, like this, right? See this? It used to be post-it notes everywhere. Now it's right. phone reminders. Anyway, one of them is to, I don't remember the exact wording, but it's pay 100% attention to everyone you're talking to, mm. right? And that sounds so obvious, but I would say, here's my challenge, folks. When you are, uh, well, we're on 100% lockdown right now here in LA, so I can't go anywhere and talk to anybody. Uh, but when you're at the, at the grocery store, uh, when you're at the post office, really pay 100% attention. Don't make that transaction with another human transactional. Mm. You know, pay attention to whoever it is and give them 100% of your energy. Look them in the eye, all of these things. Not as a courtesy, but just really be there in that moment to everybody all throughout the day. I am guilty of not doing that quite often. Uh-huh. I'm I'm sliding my debit card in while their person is talking. And I don't care if they're paying attention to me. You know, the, the clerk has a thousand people they're going to deal with that day. That's not the point. It's not about reciprocity. It's about practice, mm-hmm. right? But I'm always thinking about the next thing I'm trying to get to, yeah. right? And I do it with my kids too. My kids will come in, you know, they'll ask for something, but my brain will be on some task mm-hmm. that is so important in the moment. And I will... Give them attention, but probably 50% of what I could. Yeah. And because I'm afraid that if I, if I take my mind off the task at hand and go 100% towards young Rai, uh, I'll forget. Right? You'll forget your or, idea or your point. I'll you... forget what I was headed to, but you won't. You know, our brains are better than that. We're not well, going to forget what we we're going to do because we stopped to look at a drawing mm-hmm. and like really be present. And look, at what a cool snake. Instead of, oh, cool, cool snake. <laughs> and what would be lost if you did forget? And compare that to what would be lost if you didn't pay attention, if you didn't listen. Oh, bravo. And if you do remember, oh, I remembered what I was going to say, now I'm going to deliver it. But the other person gets any sense that, that you weren't paying attention to them, then your message isn't going to be received anyways. It's just like, it's like a stalemate conversation or something. So I really think that it, even if it means kind of surrendering a little bit of whatever, you know, the, the, uh, and maybe this could, could be another dimension of niceness. Isn't necessarily always just the active principle of like, oh, I've got this great idea. I have this unique experience. I want to help you do this, whatever. It's just like receiving gracefully. And, I, you know, just listening, mm-hmm. being patient with someone and listening to them. It's like one of the best gifts that we have to give. And it's one of the most connective things that we can do. And the better listeners we are to others, the, the better listeners they'll be to us and to other people who they encounter. So it all kind of pays, pays forward. And there's just, there's so much time, there's so much space. Maybe you don't remember in this conversation, but maybe next time we talk, it, it comes up. Or, yeah. You know, there's like, there's, life has plenty of space. And what better way to use it than to actually stay connected? Especially with our kids, you know, young people. It doesn't have to be our kids, but just kids, because they notice, you know, they notice when adults are, are truly paying attention and when they aren't. I remember, you probably remember those adults in your life when you were young that connected, that got it. You're like, oh, this is not just an average adult. This is an adult that still has that child within, mm. right? Mm. And is giving me the time of day and mostly is respecting me. I kind of feel like if your kid comes to you with a drawing and you're like, yeah, cool. And then another drawing, okay, cool. Maybe that kid had the talent to be an incredible artist, but after 10 times of only getting 50% of 
their hero, mm-hmm. their idol, their parents' energy, mm-hmm. they're like, oh, well, art isn't very impressive to my parent. Therefore, I'm going to turn my attention somewhere else, mm. right? So uh, it's it's a real struggle as busy, busy parents. Um, but I'm afraid that if we don't consistently fully engage with our kids, we might be accidentally sending the signal that we're not interested in their natural talents. Mm-hmm. Maybe. I don't know. Just throwing it, it out there. It seems very possible. <laughs> And that that would play into their future and the kinds of choices that they make and how they treat other people, which changes the way that those people engage with art or anything else. Yeah. You know, we're kind of, we're all part of something much bigger in these kinds of choices. Um, You know, I feel like that's where our power really lies the most is like kind of from that place of presence, cultivating that attitude of wonder, humility, genuine interest and supporting each other through that space and like kind of the, the transformation that becomes possible through those kinds of interactions seems so much more substantial than kind of beating someone at a debate or like having the funniest anecdote of the night or etc. So when you're doing music, when you're producing over the years, because uh, you've been doing this for a while now, mm-hmm. producing, your ability to be more present. Tell me about how that affects your your professionalism? Well, you know, there's so many different parts of the music that I do, but one that comes to mind here is that I spend a lot of time working with singers, vocalists in the studio, and singing is just such a vulnerable thing. It's, it's so sensitive for a lot of people. And then add to that this kind of the awkwardness of like the headphones, the the subtlety of the voice, and then I'm like sitting there listening, and if they make a mistake or anything like this, then I'm going to hear it, they're going to know it, we're all going to hear it. So there's like a kind of, there's a real delicacy to building like a safe environment for creativity and for giving kind of critical feedback within a context that still feels safe and expansive and kind of like builds towards more freedom rather than less because oftentimes critical engagement um, especially with people who are less experienced in a field the critical engagement can really be kind of heart closing and scary and like kind of turn things off so there's lots of opportunities throughout, throughout my day if I'm working with someone like this you know just kind of keep staying connected to to them and what we're trying to do and like why we're doing it and stay gentle but precise and positive but useful you know if i just say if i just say great job great job great job no matter what then we're not going to necessarily kind of get into those deeper zones but if i say oh no that wasn't good you know then just a little bit they're going to be like oh so there's a there's a there's a play in there when I'm actually in the studio, which is a big part of my professional work right now. And then the other place where this really comes to life is in any time you're performing. I've found that as a viewer, that I can enjoy pretty much any kind of performance when I feel that someone's just deep inside what they're doing. And it's just so inspiring, so moving, so fascinating. And it gets me into that space with them, you know, like, you're like you can kind of like pull people into this flow experience. And most of the performing that I've done is actually more as a side person, as a bass player, as you've seen me. But in that environment, too, I'm always striving to kind of stay 
engaged with what's going on, who else is playing music, how the audience is feeling, how I'm feeling, what's happening in my body, and if my mind is wandering too off, can I can I make it back here and dedicate myself to this moment and making making this music feel alive for all of us? Are you so? Where's your studio that you usually work out of? I you travel around. Or? I, yeah, I actually just the past few months um, since the quarantine have a new studio. It's out in Matillahaw Canyon. Have you been to Ojai? I have. I don't know if you've ever been out to Matillahaw Canyon, just north of town. There's a there's a kind of little small windy road, and at the end of it, there's a community out there. And my great friend slash landlord um, slash bandmate Jeff Lennon, we played a band called The Chills together. But he uh, he has a property in the back of the canyon there, and little shack on the canyon in uh, on his property where I produce and just have some b simple instruments. It's amazing now what you can do with um, with just a laptop and a interface and a handful of mics and some instruments. Right? You know, like the the world of music production has been extremely democratized. So you've been staying busy through the, the COVID or with producing? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anything you're working on right now? Bands? Anybody you want to throw shout outs to? Stuff that we need to check out? Um, well, I just released a track with Julieta and Equanimous and myself, a track called Alive. You can hear it online and stuff. That's something we made at the very beginning of this quarantine. It actually felt kind of perfect because the whole refrain is like, maybe we can stay alive. And I'm doing a couple tracks with the local musician Cameron Schubert, who's a fantastic cellist and singer-songwriter. Those will probably come out next year. The stuff I'm working on now, will, you know, there'll be time before it comes out. Another local musician, Shining Lion. It's like kind of a hip-hop reggae artist. And and then my own stuff. I've got an album coming out in January of um, kind of yoga vibe music, I guess. It's like more environmental, instrumental, very slow developing, but like groovy and soothing music. And then um, working on like my original album's song, which I'm years deep into and have started and restarted so many times it might just be my life's work we'll see if I ever finish it um, it's more about the process I guess tell me I don't know what this is but I was reading about it and it's musical and it sounds really cool yeah what is a what is a kirtan ensemble uh-huh kirtan is a um it's a style of um devotional chanting where usually it has like this back and forth component where there's like a, a lead person who will sing and then the ensemble sings back and they kind of go back and forth and can kind of ride the energy way up or way down and kind of it's about this kind of evolving collaborative mantra experience. And you've performed in a number of those? Yeah, I've performed in a number of those. I'm actually doing one this weekend for a socially distanced retreat that Shiva Kali is hosting. Is that something the crowd gets into, or do you just listen to the call and response as a separate thing and just get inspired by it? Oh, the crowd is the response. Yeah. Every, oh, okay. There's okay. no audience. It's kind of, you become you become one thing. Oh, it's like the that's point great. of all the rest of yoga stuff. It's about yeah, yeah. cultivating, you know, a sense of connection to something larger. So the kirtan, you're, you're stirring the, the ensemble. The whole group becomes the ensemble. It's really um, I'm going to have to try one of those. Yeah. Right. Next time you have one up there, just give me a shout. I want to come up. I want to go to the bookstore that I've never gotten to go to up there. Oh, Bart's. Yeah, it's, fabulous. It's, that's one of the great bookstores in, around, I think. It is one of the great bookstores around. And I know that there's so many closing right now. I think they're doing well. 
but yeah, what a what a thing if we if we end up losing that kind of resource. Bookstores are struggling, everybody. If you have a local bookstore near you, just go buy a couple books this week. Buy them as Christmas presents mm-hmm. or after Christmas presents. Just books. You've got to support the books. bookstores. Um, Do you read books? I I have. It's a weakness of mine. Yeah. Books and book collecting. Mean, you know, you try to be sort of minimalist, mm-hmm. not like you. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, I try to be, and books are hard because they're these artifacts and they take up space. And mm-hmm. when you move, you know, I moved 60 boxes of books down here after getting rid of almost that many. Yeah. Uh, wow. I love books. I always have. I love the smell of them. They evoke so many memories and feelings. And I don't read nearly as rapidly as I did when I was younger Mm -hmm. or I think as deeply. I think I read more quickly and more deeply when I was a a young kid than I do now. But I'm still trying to get through them. I'm trying to get through right now a book on my computer because it's out of print written by Dennis McKenna. Terrence McKenna's brother, The Brotherhood of the Screaming Abyss, long out of print. So that's what I'm reading right now. And if you're not into tales of mushrooms and ayahuasca and philosophy along those things, it'd probably not be the most fascinating book, but I'm loving it. Yeah, I'm into those things. (laughs) Uh, You reading anything right now? Um, Yeah, I'm always kind of reading books. I I don't spend as much time as I once did. And I read a lot now on my, my phone and iPad. I have like a membership thing and I just... Actually, I find that I can, I, I love the convenience of being able to kind of read in this mobile way. But yeah, I'm super into books. I'm reading one kind of provocative one right now called um, Cynical Theories. Have you heard of this? It's a kind of, it's, I think it's a relevant book, whether you agree with it or disagree with it. But it's kind of critiquing the critical theorists thing and the kind of, the kind of the, the way that the conversation has been evolving and politics and like the kind of the far left versus the far right and anti-racism and all these kinds of very um very juicy and like you know apparently extremely controversial subjects now and it's it's the kind of arguments that I feel like you can only access through a book because it takes a while to like lay out the history or like kind of how how people are kind of finding themselves in these different perspectives and how to engage and what else is possible. Like, it, you know, you can't, you can't tweet about this stuff. It's hard to pay attention to a YouTube video for an hour and a half and actually retain anything out of it. A lot of times we're doing that stuff, I think, more for entertainment, really, even if it is information-y. So, yeah, I, I love reading books. I, uh, I feel quite empowered by them, and I read mostly nonfiction. I, I often ask people if they read books, and the, the common answer is versions of no or not enough or not so much these days yeah no it's part of my morning routine is a minimum of 20 minutes reading Mm -hmm. i equate that to about 20 pages Uh although oftentimes i'll end up going down a rabbit hole there'll be a word i don't know Mm -hmm. or a person i'm not familiar with and since the laptop's nearby i'm like oh who's alfred jari and then this is a recent experience you know he's a a dadaist uh, incredible you guys google alfred jari and then, of course, I ordered this big book about yeah. it. <laughs> you know, this is just a, a side character in a book. And now I've got a book coming about this person. So it's endless. Mm-hmm. You know, the books just, they're, they're like mushrooms. Yeah. They just grow and flourish. And there's this mycelial network between all of them that only I can really point if you're standing there. But then again, I have bookshelves 
well, most of my books are in the garage here, but when I have bookshelves, sometimes I feel like, because not a lot of folks have a lot of books anymore, I feel like it's almost, they're more on display for my ego than anything else. Like, look at all my books. Uh I'm that book guy. You know, like you were saying about the naked at the beach, right? So what if your home is more naked and you aren't manifesting your your personality (laughs) through all of your belongings? Uh That's a struggle that I have, right? So like my records are all in the garage because I'm, I'm like embarrassed of being like vinyl record guy. I see. Right? That kind of thing. That's not a very um, generous interpretation of yourself. I know. I know. <laughs> but, you know. Um, so but I get it. I get it. Where you come from. I, it's, not a, it's not a daily struggle. Just sometimes I look up and I'm like, you know, when's the last time I took that book down? Why is it even there? You know, and the answer to justify it is, well, because... You know, you have three sons and you want to make sure that they have access to a good library and they're interested in these things too, or that they have a chance to be interested in these things too. Let's talk about the fire, Mm. your fire. It's been a little bit now Mm -hmm. since the fire came in and and cleared out your life, belongings, Mm -hmm. your stuff, your possessions. When did that happen? Uh, I guess that was three years ago now, the Thomas fire. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. At the time, was like I think the biggest fire in modern California history. Although maybe it's been outdone this year. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, and curiously, actually, it only it only erased half of my life. I used to live in this Airstream trailer and also had the studio in there. And then some months before the fire, I actually separated into the home that I live in now for my personal stuff, but still had my, my kind of professional life in that trailer which was on different land and was one of the, you know, burned early in the Thomas fire and lost the whole thing, um, completely melted, incinerated to the ground. It was incredible to see um, what was left. I was, of course, only one amongst, you know, many hundreds of people who had lost possessions and many people including their whole homes. And so I, I, I think that I still don't know what it would be like to have lost my whole wardrobe and my birth certificate and social security card and like dealing with all the complications that would arise from that stuff. And while we're on the subject of kind of shameful admissions, my, my wardrobe might be even more personally valuable to me than all my instruments combined, just because of all the stories and everything connected to them. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I lost, I lost my studio. I lost my, um, computer and hard drives and, um, you know, a lot of stuff that I had tinkered around and spent hundreds of hours working on and didn't have the courage to release or didn't feel done enough with it and just kind of all disappeared uh, spontaneously. And yeah, definitely far out experience, but that, you know, not too much of a surprise. It kind of turned into a whole set of new opportunities. That's what I was going to wonder, like if the, if the vacuum or the loss what the lessons were and what the new growth w- has been like for you mm-hmm. that you can point back to and say, this is, this is, um, a wonderful gift from the fire. Yeah. Well, there's definitely, I mean, immediately while it was happening and after the, the sense of community deepened quickly, like, you know, we were all like kind of in this together and that was so beautiful to see so many people pooling resources and excited to support and help each other. I only wish we could extend even a small fraction of that generosity to the the huge number of problems that other people in the world are facing. It's come so much more naturally to us to share with the people who are close, which is forgivable, but I hope also kind of transcendable um, that we could kind of treat, 
you know, because today also around the world, so many people are losing homes and many of us won't kind of think to, to support them in the ways that we could. But it was, you know, Ojai being such a affluent community was able to kind of support a lot of people. I got some uh, money from friends and nonprofit organizations and stuff and was able to kind of re-piece together the bare bones of a studio quite quickly and yeah you know get back on track and the probably the more lasting impact is just the kind of uh we have moment after moment they all these experiences these kind of like tiny deaths that kind of are all pointing towards this kind of final death that comes for us at some point and that felt like a little bit more than tiny you know it's like a like a little bit of a right. bigger gesture of just reminding of the the kind of transient quality of the world that we live in and that everything's born and dies and kind of flooding away um and within the context of that we have this opportunity to kind of really seize life in the moments that we are alive the things that we do have the things that we do create and share and to kind of just like go ahead and do it go ahead and live while we're here, while we have this chance. And yeah, it was actually, I think, the the sum total of my emotional experience was much more positive than negative from that experience. But again, the caveat being that I'm someone who lives in California, and maybe the fact that I'm a white male or whatever, and I'm embedded into the community here, that they made it so much easier for me to feel supported by the whole experience. But I think even without those benefits, that there would still be like a, a poetry to the experience that I, that I wouldn't, I wouldn't wish out of my life. Wow. That's such a, just a beautiful and positive takeaway from that. And I mean, I'm not surprised at all. I'm not surprised at all. I'll tell you, you know, some people, I mean, coming from you, I'm not surprised. Some people on social media and, and in real life, I'm trying to figure out how to say this without sounding like I'm being judgmental because I'm not, at least I'm not on the inside. I don't know how it's going to come out on the outside, but they're all smiles and, and sort of basking in the glow, you know, of life. And all of their posts are just uniformly wonderful. And for some reason, and maybe it's my insecurity or my jealousy, mm -hmm. right? I have a hard time believing it. Mm -hmm. It seems more like, like bragging than, than true joy. And maybe it's not. That's just what it seems like to me. That's my interpretation. But with you, it's different. Your feed literally brightens my day. Every time, every time. And there's like an energy coming through it and through you that I just love, which is why we're talking right now. Were you always like this? Hmm. You know, do you have bad days? Is this what your training has done? Or were you just always like, you know, there goes whatever his name is today. And, you know, <laughs> <laughs> he's the happiest five-year-old in the world. Tell me, tell me where, where this all started for you. Hmm. Well, I, you know... And I have a mix of perspectives on myself. One is that I, I feel the same as I've always been. And then others, I uh -huh. can't believe how much everything has changed. I'd say at least that I've, that I've long been quite emotional. Especially as a kid, I, you know, I was definitely crying a lot. I still do, although more of my crying is just like that, just being flooded with those feelings of beauty. And kind of like the joy. I, I, a lot of times I really love human beings and like just what we're up to and like I'm, I'm quite touched by that stuff but I also still get frustrated and lonely and I assure you that I'm miserable sometimes and that I'm frustrated and I feel alienated from my community or my friends sometimes I feel um, 
I, you know, I've, I haven't found my way out of that kind of rich emotional life that includes all those different things. And my strategy is, is, is more about kind of getting comfortable with that stuff than trying to just kind of take all that away. I'd like to think that when those tough feelings arise, that they do have things to teach us. But, you know, and maybe it is contrived, getting into the social media stuff, I've never really found it a very useful place to kind of unload or kind of like take all my emotional problems or something. So I, you know, I'm probably like a lot of people putting my best foot forward on there or whatever with, I hope, a sincere intention to, to inspire and to lift up and to help somehow, but also, or at least to kind of contribute, but probably also out of ego stuff or whatever. I mean, ego is not a four-letter word. I, I think the fact that, that people are, you know, still kind of working towards the self-preservation and like, you know, how all the, how all the stuff works right now. Like, it's tough to forgive, but I do. And then, kind of, now put all that to the side, how have I become who I am? You know, I, I don't know. I, th I could say that it's, you know, I've, I had great parents who were both very kind. I was in the Boy Scouts. I was in uh, Junior ROTC, as in like these leadership things where they talk to us about these things. And I've, and I've, you know, I've, as an adult, I've never had that much money, but I've kind of like found a way, my way through like a fun life and gotten to enjoy a lot of things. So maybe, maybe the, those things have accumulated in, in uh, endowing me with a certain disposition. Um, but I also, I, I think that all of us were kind of, were coming from something even larger than that. It's, it's hard to put, put one's finger on. And, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm, no, maybe I'm getting nowhere with this answer. But um. you, You're getting everywhere with it. It could have been, you know, it could have been, oh, you know, I was uh, a pain-in-the-ass teenager, and then I met so-and-so, uh -huh. and everything turned around. Who knows what the answer is going to be, sure. right? I, I try to find, in listening, you know, in being present, I try to find if there was a moment that people thought, I don't know, this is a risk. Mm -hmm. There's a safer avenue over here, but it's not aligned with my passion, mm -hmm. right? Um, was there ever any moment like that for you that you can think back on or period of time where you just weren't sure that following, I'm going to say it, following your bliss was responsible mm -hmm. in, in the, you know, sort of social sense of what responsible means? Right, right. Probably, probably a lot of the choices that I've made. <laughs> I, if I was, I think that the the moment when I really kind of, um, at least in a kind of a physical way, I kind of stepped off the path was the first time I did three semesters of college after high school, and then um, for reasons that I don't really understand myself, it it's not because I had some deep faith in my purpose or anything necessarily, but I kind of I jumped ship. Um, and my classmates and my teachers were disappointed. I think my family is probably kind of confused. And I left Texas and moved to Olympia, Washington. I'd never been there and uh, didn't know what I was going for. But just felt like I had to, to try something different to, to kind of like open up. And then life has kind of like flowed from there. And pretty much since that time, I've, I've lived in a lot of kind of unconventional housing from tents and vans and trucks and buses and campers and like um, 
you know, just kind of been out in the world more and have mostly succeeded in kind of avoiding having any kind of monotonous jobs like that or like the kind of the more this stable job that would kind of bring me more conventional sense of connectedness to the larger project of society. I, and I did a couple things, but mostly I've just been kind of finding my way. And more than anything, I think that I just kind of got the sense that it's not faith that things are going to work out, but just that an understanding that to live a cool life, to have fun, takes, uh, you have to take risks. You have to kind of go for stuff and be willing to, to mess up a lot. And I've definitely failed a lot, and I still do. I still kind of try performance things that just, I think by any objective measures, just fail. People aren't that excited about it, or like, I'm bummed on it, or it doesn't work. And um, But every now and then I have something that feels extremely successful, even if it's not in some kind of uh, documented, like, you know, 100 million Spotify plays kind of way, but just feeling that, that deep sense of connection that arises every now and then in a, just a, a, a beautiful moment in life, whether it's in a yoga class or a music performance, or just kind of in in my day. And I think that's where my, you know, I don't know if I would use the word faith because of the, it almost has like a, a supernatural air to it. And it's not that I think that everything's going to work out. It's not that I think that God or nature or the universe is like on my team and wants me to succeed. It's not that I think my intuition is always right. It's just that it feels like uh, I need to put myself out there and I want to keep growing, I want to keep trying stuff. And I think one of the ways that I've grown the most in my life is kind of my, my willingness to endure embarrassment and failures and like mistakes and that kind of stuff. Oh, that's that's great. That kind of blends into... I was going to try, well, I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to introduce a couple of new segments to the podcast. I'm going to test them out on you. You're the test subject. And the first one is the free advice. Oh. The free advice segment where where you're going to, I mean, I should, you know, podcasts with production values and stuff, there'd probably be like a little musical interlude, you know, free advice or something. So pretend that that's what happened. So what advice would you give? Well, you kind of covered, you just covered like people that would want to follow your route, which is take risks, right? Not be afraid to fail. So let's switch it up for this first one. What advice would you give, this is the classic, to your 18-year-old self? Mm. Hmm. That's a fun one. I think that for me, patience is just like the most I and mean, it's the virtue it's it's the way it's the the key to kind of stepping into a deeper sense of life i think that all the projects that are worth doing aren't like immediately gratifying you know like it there's kind of like it takes a process to arrive somewhere and i think that there's a there's a part of our humanness that, that kind of is is can lean towards the immediate and i think that a lot of modern culture and technology and stuff has really kind of stacked those incentives even deeper. There's so much sensation available in a given moment. And the thing that I'm still trying to cultivate and that maybe I could have kind of used some more intentional support with early on is kind of being patient with the unfolding of my life, of life in general, with, with other people, with the speed of change, this kind of stuff. 
Patience. That's that's a hard one for me. Mm-hmm. It's always been a hard one for yeah. me. I get it. Okay, the second new segment, so exciting, <laughs> so exciting, <laughs> is called, I got to come up with a better name for it. But for today, it's called Curveball. Ooh. Yeah, I didn't I see that coming. I want to curveball question. You know, ba-dum, bum. All right. The cool thing about Curveball is I don't know what it is yet either. Mm-hmm. Oh. Okay. No, I do because I, I read an article this morning. Uh, something I saw something about UFOs. So, okay, I'll tell you this then. I'll set it up. Back in the mid-90s, maybe I should come up with a curveball ahead of time. Hmm, I'll think about it. Anyway, back in the mid-90s, I was living in Chico, California, and my girlfriend and I at the time, we went, we saw some little ad in the paper somewhere about this group that was going to be giving a talk about uh, extraterrestrials and communing with them. So we go to this funky little, uh, like a Hilton or something, conference room. And there are only about five of us that show up. And there's this long table. And there's a big, big thing of water in the middle of it. And there's about six or eight people. And they're the ones who are presenting. And they all have close cropped hair or shaved. And they all are incessantly drinking the water. And they all have the, the faces that are a little bit round from just, I think, drinking so much water. Mm or maybe being on prednisone, and they're very um, gender neutral. And they're telling us about how they're trying to recruit this members. This is the Bay Area, but how the, This is Chico, Chico California, right? which is mm-hmm. up Northern California. They're telling us how they were going to be beamed up, like Star Trek. This comet was going to be coming by in a few years mm-hmm. to pick them all up. Uh, and we were they were just very sincere. One of them was very sort of messianic, and... Uh, we just kind of left before it was even over because as as into sci-fi and fantasy as I was and UFOs and, and still am, I mm-hmm. guess, they were just a little bit odd. Anyway, so this was Heaven's Gate. This was, was the Heaven's say, Gate familiar. group. They, they were called something else at the time. But a few years later, as a lot of us know, 1996, 7, 8, something like that, when Comet Hale-Bopp came by, came closer, right. they committed suicide wearing their white Nikes, right? They all killed themselves as part of the beaming up process. So here's my curveball question to you. Did they make it? Um, what do you think? Is, it, is there a chance, you know? Mm-hmm. Well. Yeah. Are, they, are they on the spaceship? Um, I no. But let me, oh. let, let me, let me nice, nicify my answer. What were they actually trying to make? What were they actually trying to do? I think that they were looking for a way to to get connected to other people into life while they were alive, and I think they did that. I, my worldview, it makes it very unlikely, while still possible, that that they like kind of had received the correct instructions for getting on said spaceship, and like that 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 played out in that way. But there's lots of mythologies and stuff that it's unlikely that they actually are true in some like factual sense. But that doesn't mean that they're not kind of useful, powerful containers for people to kind of bring that depth into their life. And I'd also, you know, as a amateur scientist, I'd commit to the possibility that, yes, it's possible. I can't say that it didn't happen. I just happen to not think that it, it seems like there's more probable answers, like that the whole thing was kind of collectively invented thing you know maybe they did acid and whatever else and like kind of kind of had these epiphanies and then on a hugely speculative level 
I think of like the movie Waking Life. Remember that movie? Did you ever see that? Mm-hmm. The Richard yeah, Linklater. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, you yeah. kind of get the sense by the end of the movie that the 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 lead kid had had died and that he was having this whole experience in this kind of like kind of drifting towards death moment in like a, almost like a dream state or something. And I think there's a very good chance that that people do have these kinds of experiences as their body is dying. You know, we we hear from people who when they drown, they have like the tunnel of light experience and then they kind of get brought back. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the, the anticipation was so strong, the imagination had been so dedicated that they got to experience something that would be, say, identical to um, whatever it would be like to get absorbed into the space shuttle and beamed away. And like kind of, you know, maybe they did get to ride that out on an experiential level, which is maybe even more relevant than whether it's real or not to like some dispassionate observer like myself okay i'm just gonna say a home run yep that's that home run fantastic answer <laughs> yeah fantastic answer so what do you guys think was that a home run i want to know he just just message message me uh through all the the ways uh how do you do strike out double single home run that's we're gonna grade these we're gonna grade the curveball each hey, that's week. not very we're nice grade these <laughs> No, no, no. Uh, you struck out. You suck. <laughs> Super nice. Yeah, not. <laughs> no, that was a great answer. Uh, speaking of, of waking life, I'll throw a tip at you if you haven't seen it. There's an Amazon. Sorry, I'm anti-Amazon. Just they don't, they're not super nice for the world in my mm-hmm. opinion. Um, but there's a great show on Amazon called Undone. It's that same animation style. It might be Richard Linkletter oh. as well. And it's, 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 it's a beautiful exploration of... I can't give it away. I think you'll love it. I think you'll love it. It's called Undone. Cool. I'll check Just it. Just one word. Also, yeah. speaking of UFOs, did you hear... Have you listened to the Lex Fridman podcast at all? Mm-mm. He's a cool, like, science dude at MIT who has a podcast, and he's getting really great guests. I like his style. Um, but he had... Have you seen those cool videos on YouTube of the... the I think they're, like, naval fighter pilots or something... With, with the, the lights, yeah, and what, yeah, 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 and they're all like, "Wow, we don't know." He what had it is. one of the pilots who you hear his voice on his show, who's like retired. He was a Top Gun pilot. He's like a totally legit yeah. dude, trained visual person, and talking about those videos, which is the closest thing that we have to like real legit evidence of UFOs, whether they're aliens yeah. or not. You know, that's that's a whole yeah. other conversation. But they have it, and it was just really cool. I mean, it's the it's the most excited that I've gotten about like this feeling of like, is there could there be something else amongst us? Is there something going on here that that we haven't learned how to talk about yet? And um, just to hear someone who's kind of coming from this more conservative military background, trained visual vision person with the scientist having this conversation about a true unidentified flying object I found ultimately inspiring. And his name again? Oh, the Lex Fridman. F-R-I-D-M-A-N. Lex yeah. Fridman. Yeah. Okay. It was a recent episode. Maybe All like right. two Shout months. out for the Lex Fridman Yeah, podcast. yeah, he's cool. Okay, I'll check it out. I, I have seen those videos. Those videos are great. They were, weren't they recently uh, declassified? They were on YouTube some years ago and then they're recently the, the Pentagon came out and said like yeah these are real videos here they are but didn't give us any more context yeah they, well they couldn't right like 
what else is there to know? We don't know. They could have come from under the mm-hmm. ocean. They could have come mm-hmm. from outer space. They could have come from North – probably not North Korea. Probably not. Um, we were talking before about the difference between – the perceived differences between kindness and niceness. And it's a great – it's something that, that I get messages sometimes from people and they'll say, how come you're not the super kind club? Nice is, nice is right. phony. Right. And it's eh, there's etymological arguments. Right. The history of the two words. Uh, and then there's just cultural common use and the, the common use, the differences between kind and nice. They vary in different parts, you know, of of English speaking world. Um, what's your take? You had an interesting take on kindness. And do you, do you remember what you said mm-hmm. a little while ago? I, I don't specifically, but I can take a, a fresh stab at it. Uh, yeah, I. Uh, I did get, I, I liked how you expanded how I was thinking about niceness to thinking about how it's also like an aesthetic and it's like kind of, you, it's something that can be applied to, to non-human objects as well as humans. Mm-hmm. Um, so in some ways it's like a bigger category, um, which I think is really cool. And I do see, you know, with those, you know, the people kind of accuse niceness as like being trite or maybe even kind of fake. Um, and that kindness is like, you know, we, in like Buddhism and stuff, they talk about kindness and it's like kind of this more depthful word, but I kind of like the, the nice, and I, not to say that kindness isn't important. I think kindness is supremely important. And that's one of the skills that I hope naturally arises, but as we cultivate presence and kind of, kind of commit more and deeply to our values and our, our ideals. But the the lightness of niceness has a huge appeal to me. Just the fact that even if we're like kind of like, you know, so complicated to to live in the world where people kind of believe such heinous and gnarly different things, and there's things like Amazon, uh, you know, we can like kind of like there's so many thumbs down available. Um, you just take a walk mm-hmm. around the neighborhood, and it's like, oh yeah, dum thumbs in the. But but to commit to to the lightness of niceness feels like a really great way to kind of um, it's almost like the you know when they say you're trying to change your behavior instead of like just trying to will this huge gesture of a different life you just kind of stack the cards a little bit differently to make these little micro changes how can I incentivize myself to just be a little more like this a little bit more like this and I feel like niceness feels like a more approachable project in that way. We can, we can do these little things that are, that are nice. And it's not, you don't have to be like a grand claim to a kind person. It's just like, I'm making this gesture towards niceness. And as I make it, it, cha- it transforms me. It transforms others. It transforms the world. Yeah. I think kindness is definitely 82% of a 10% nicer world. Right, kindness is the personal transformation that has to happen, and uh, a kinder, gentler world is is vital. I, I think it's part of, for me, it's part of what a nicer world is. You can have nice mm-hmm. experiences, you know. You don't really have kind experiences, but you can have a super nice experience with a group of people uh, who were kind. Right? Yeah, nice to me is just a larger envelope of which kindness is the essential oil. And it is, it's, 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 it can be semantics. But for those out there who have wondered if 
the super nice club is trying to just gloss over or 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 think that kindness isn't absolutely valuable. No, no, kindness is the way. Yeah, you know. Um, I heard a fantastic another podcast shout out to Hidden Brain, which I listened to this weekend, and I often do. Mm-hmm. Um, but they had a they described this situation that I thought really plays into one of the challenges of kindness or of niceness rather, maybe kindness too. Imagine there's a group of friends that get together and someone suggests, hey, let's watch a movie. Maybe maybe many of the people don't even want to watch a movie, but they nicely say like, yeah, okay, we'll watch a movie. And then they watch a movie. And then just because they're nice, they, they thank their host and say they had a great time. And the host is like, oh, well, people like to watch movies and they'll like have another night where they watch a movie. And then all of a sudden, like, there's this group of people all doing something that they don't even really want to do because of this, like, accident of niceness. This is also, this is the polite part of niceness. And I think that the part that people are um, kind of, I, I guess, expressing concern over or something. I'm not that concerned about it, but I am fascinated by it. And I could see how... Um, you know, like little int, like when we, if we're using niceness to kind of peel back our honesty, um, or if we're kind of using niceness to kind of hide behind a little bit of an illusion, um, both happen, and there's risks to both. Like sometimes it can be, like I think, if someone just if you, you know, you're popping into the grocery store and you see a friend and they say, "How are you doing?" It's nice to say that, and it's nice to say I'm doing fine, even if maybe you have a really complicated day happening, and you don't necessarily, they're not the person to, like, launch into it with. It's a little bit of a dishonesty, but it's being nice, too. And it's actually, it's a useful part of existing in the world, because we don't want people, like, to avoid saying, how are you doing? Um, But there's also this risk where, like, you know, some people would never, you know, you ask them how they're doing, no matter how much space there is, no, how, no matter how close you are, they have a hard time really revealing the whole because they're kind of like, because of niceness, afraid of sharing the true, the, the mm. full version of it. This isn't a critique of niceness. This is just kind of a fascinating way in which we, we have to like kind of wonder about the, the details of getting into the, the nitty gritty of it. Yeah. How do we avoid like all of a sudden yeah. being part of a group where maybe like, a lot of people are like not behind a political figure, say, but they're kind of like going along with it because their friends are going along with it. Or like, I think things happen like this in spiritual groups. Um, a lot of times, like critical thinking is almost like not thought of as very nice. Ah, oh, that's exactly it. That is exactly it. You know, having a, um, an unpopular opinion when you, you're afraid to voice it because you don't want to create turmoil within your peer group and be seen as someone mm-hmm. who isn't nice. Yeah, that's a limitation of a lot of our view of what the mm-hmm. word nice means. I don't, for me, that's sure. not what nice is. For me, that's a limited view of what nice, uh, socially acceptable mm-hmm. behavior is. But, you know, everybody out there, you have your own version <laughs> of what nice is and, and what it means to be a little bit nicer. We're just here to try to help you uh, have the confidence yeah. to pursue that, you know, uh, upsetting the apple cart, uh, challenging your friends, having a different belief. These are all super nice things. It's up to your friends and your peer group to choose how they want to respond with, with kindness, <laughs> with kindness or not. I remember you did a whole series of questions online for like a year or more where you're asking, 
question oh, the of questions the day. of the day. Yeah, this is, and many like of them were, yeah. were, you know, uh, controversial somehow. It seemed like they, they definitely stirred up a lot of right. um, discussions and stuff. But that was, you know, you know, getting back into our reflections. I also think that your online presence is awesome in that way. That even with your commitment to niceness, that you're still stirring oh, in those like harder to answer questions. And I don't see you as someone who's like hiding behind niceness to any degree. No, I have, there's, there's not a lot of people in my life who would say, yeah, Todd is the nicest guy I know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> not at all. I don't think there's one person that would say that. Um, and, and mean it. They might say it. They're not going to mean it. Um, but that's because I, I just, I think it's hard for folks to equate um, difficult conversations and, and, and getting in there and really asking, why do we feel this way? Because oftentimes when I ask a question of someone, it's because I'm trying to get a clue as to why I feel a certain way. And it's in exchange with others that I start to learn. But if, if I'm creating discomfort in someone else to learn more about myself, then I get back to and I get in my head, wow, is that, am I, is that a nice thing to mm -hmm. do? You know, I'm kind of, uh, I'm creating disharmony to find personal mm -hmm. harmony. Mm -hmm. What's that all about, Todd? You know, and then I did rabbit hole yeah. after rabbit hole, right? Yeah. So <laughs> super nice challenge. I'm not even going to go down. Uh, super nice challenge. This is, uh, the, each guest gets to issue a challenge to the listeners and to the members of the Super Nice Club. And if you're a listener of this podcast, you are a member of the Super Nice Club. You just jumped in. That's it. That's all you have to do. Or follow us on the socials or whatever. Don't have to, though. Um, do you have anything that you want to put out there for people that can sort of make their world a little mm. bit nicer place? Something that they that they can do? Well, I'll, I'll reinforce something that I said later because I really do think that the, one of the most powerful gifts that we have to, to give each other is listening. And just kind of taking a moment to be silent and receive someone, um, I think is one of those powerful gifts, no matter how much money you have, whatever gift you could buy a person, like, but to actually be able to kind of just sit there and, and let them be and witness them in their life, in their moment. Um, um, it's just, it's the supreme, you know, it's what I'm craving in my social interactions and it's what I aspire to do. And what I want to invite more and more people into doing is just kind of like, just staying present and listening. Stay present and listen. That is a challenge that we should have every day, every day. And eventually maybe it'll become a habit. Okay. And then what about a question for me? You also get to ask a question of me. This is the part that I just, I'll answer anything, curveball, straight shot, whatever you want. Um, curveball for you. Well, all right. How about this? I'm not asking no, for yeah, a curveball. I'm not, I'm not searching for a curveball. <laughs> I'm going to stay on the subject of, of niceness and you as somebody with experience doing this. Do you have any advice or things that we could do if we want to be dissenters, if we find reason to disagree, if we um, don't like the way something is, or if we, um, you know, notice something that, that doesn't fit peacefully in the context of our community... How can we engage with those things and stay connected to niceness? Are there any tips for how to mm -hmm. kind of that integrate is... the need for that 
with the aspiration of the other? Well, it's a great question because it's one that, that as someone who stays very active in my communities, whether they're online or real world, I face a lot. Um, right now, here in Los Angeles, um, I've already found a, a battle, you know, a battleground, um, and that is between uh, a group of homeless veterans uh, who live near me, uh, just on the other side of the fence from the Veterans Administration that is housed, has room to house 5,000 people, um, and they don't house them there, and a group of, of developers and developer mm-hmm. lobbyists. And that fight is very one-sided. You know, on one side, you have a group of homeless veterans uh, who have zero, you know, zero power um, and very little agency. And on the other hand, you have billionaire veterans. I mean, developers. Billionaire veteran developers. I don't know. And it is hard for me to call out the hypocrisies, call out the illegal actions I mean, I'm not calling them out on my own, right? I'm, I'm working with a group of people. Uh, and to do so in a way that is always constructive because I get frustrated, right? I get frustrated with the vituperative replies that I'll find, especially on Nextdoor. You know, I've heard that it's site. extremely contentious on um, there. I've never gotten into it. but Oh, man. There's just, there's so much mm-hmm. hate, uh, racism, and a lack of compassion. And so when I'm there saying, hey, here's a situation and here's the reality, and the people around there are, are just saying, well, all the, all the homeless people are drug users and they need to lift themselves up by their own bootstraps and they're this and they're that and they're criminals. I mean, these sweeping generalizations, I just get, you know, mm-hmm. I start to feel yeah. upset about it. And so to your question, you know, how do I provide information that's constructive that that people will listen to when I know that they're reflexively, you know, reflexive hate, you know, in the face of reflexive intolerance, in the face of reflexive small-mindedness. Um, I've had to give this a lot of thought lately, and my answer has been that what I need to do is find my allies, you know. And in the past, I've, I've I guess maybe it's my ego, but I've usually just been like, the solo fighter, you know, just bring it. I'll go up against, you know, whatever you are. Um, this time it's finding the allies and trying to be strategic and also being unafraid to ruffle feathers, but just not doing so just for the point of ruffling feathers. It's okay to ruffle feathers and to play the trickster a little bit, you know, which is something we covered in in uh, a podcast a couple of weeks ago. I think we have to give ourselves permission to to stir the pot a little. And if some people are going to react poorly to it, as long as our intention behind stirring the pot was to open up a conversation, a community-wide conversation, I think it's okay. I'm kind of rambling here because it's such a big question for me personally. I think we should give ourselves permission to stir the pot. We should give ourselves permission to upset our friends and neighbors, realizing that they have to choose to be upset. And if a racist chooses to be upset in my neighborhood, I'm sorry, I don't care. I think that the greater good is being done by having them being exposed. 
You know, I don't think that you have to, to be nice means to just say, oh, well, I have these uh, homophobes that are posting all this hateful stuff. And rather than, than call them out and publicly call them out, I'm going to take the high road and be nice. It's the flip side of what we're saying earlier, right? Kind versus nice. And nice can be this phony social grace. No, I think that you don't have to be a pacifist to, to tackle some of these things. As long as you know in your heart, if, and if you're capable of having honest conversations with yourself, which is can be hard to do, especially when it's an emotional situation, and you know that you're that there's a tactic and a strategy behind what you're doing, and the end result you think in the moment at least is going to be a nicer world for whatever your fight may be, I think it's okay. I think we have to give ourselves permission to to have dust ups. And maybe it's just yeah. because that's what I do. I'm always going in, creating dust-ups. I'm giving myself permission. Well, you're you know, giving us uh, permission too. Posthumously. But I really do think that there's a nice way to do it. And I, I it's, it is a razor's edge. It's kind of like, you know, comedians, like our very best comedians, people like Dave Chappelle, Lenny Bruce, um, the ones that, that are also social commentary, they tend to offend a lot of folks in the process of calling out hypocrisies. And the people who are offended the most are typically the ones who are transgressors. So I think they serve a very useful, a very useful role in that way. Uh, our comedians, they are sort of our court jesters and they, they can really show that, that most power is illusory. Uh, there's no chic, there's no billionaire, there's no gang member who runs the big Mexican gang or cartel or Russian gang or mafia that has any actual power. All that power is power that we give to them, we choose to give to them through fear. There is no power, there's no president with any power, there's no attorney general with any power. They're all given power by us because we're trying to be nice by not resisting or we're afraid. I don't know where I'm going with any of this, so I'm just going to stop talking now. If you're still listening to this podcast after this answer, bravo. I tell you what, here's how I'm going to make it up. Here's how I'm going to fix it. If you're still listening to the podcast after that incoherent answer, message me. I'll send you free stickers in the mail. Hey, I listen. Super nice club. Just to heal that wound. You can slap them all over. I loved it. Um, The thing that poked uh, out for me the most uh, is is that niceness is compatible with a willingness to offend. That we're not, we're not a, completely you know, avoiding offending as much as we're, we're choosing the opportunity to cultivate connection and the things in the world which we think are nice. But that might incidentally, and maybe even inevitably, will include offending some. I've got to ask then, you're, you're, you're thinking about it. What is it in your local community that you are finding that's troubling. Oh my gosh. I mean, there's so many things that come up. One of the, one of the things that comes up daily, I don't believe in astrology. I used to. This is just a mm-hmm. kind of a mm-hmm. trivial example. Is it important whether people do or not? I don't know. I think there's a great opportunity that awaits society the more and more we step into like a literacy with scientific kind of understanding. Mm-hmm. But whether it's true or not, there's almost... It, like less to the point than like when me I show up at a party I meet someone and they ask me my sign do I want to crack open our first conversation is like me explaining all the the data and the evidence that's kind of led me away from astrology and that I don't think that it's I don't think that it's a legit thing and 
Or do I want to just say, I'm a Sag, what are you? And then kind of move forward. And if we go into a deeper friendship, then maybe we get to talk about that later. And these kinds of little bits and pieces, I feel like kind of add up to a, to a lot sometimes where like, there's kind of this dance, like when do I actually step forward with my ideas and when do I contain them? And then now we're getting into where we're having these really important conversations about race and politics and like justice and these things. And including in these perspectives is some instructions about who gets to participate when and how. And like, it's kind of like, there's a, there's a demand that's mm -hmm. kind of getting, it's increasing. And I'm often finding myself at like a little bit of a loss of, well, when do I need to like kind of listen and step into a more passive role? Or when is it the right time to step forward, risk offending someone because I care about something or like I, or just because the truth of something from my perspective I'm not sure there's a, an answer to this. It's just a, a dance that I know that I'm often dancing and uh, excited to um, kind of collaborate amongst each other, like moral support, I guess. is like, when do we do this? How do we do this? Well, if you have the temerity to, to defend science, I think you're lost, right? <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> if someone, okay, on astrology, and for everybody who is, is a, a fan of astrology, that's great. I think if somebody leads a conversation, like they haven't met you before, and they lead the conversation with, mm -hmm. what's your sign? They're telling you that mm -hmm. that is very important uh -huh. to them. So it's going to come up later. If that's what you lead with. So you're, I think you have a couple of the choices, or at least I do in these, in these instances. One is you just say, well, okay, cool. That's not for me. And you explain why maybe indoctrinating children into believing that they belong to one of 12 tribes and that their personality types can be defined as such, 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 and such. And so trap them into fulfilling that, mm -hmm. you know, reality. You know, if you want to limit your children's perspective, tell them what sign they are when they're young. It's a great idea. Or just make up a sign. That's what I do. <laughs> I just make up a sign. I don't tell them my sign. <laughs> And then they go along believing a certain thing. And then maybe later I'll say, by the way, I'm not. And because and, and, I think that is a little <laughs> bit of a mind fuck for them. Because if you tell, if I tell somebody that I'm, this, I'm a Sagittarius and we have a conversation for two hours and they have mm -hmm. framed things neatly mm -hmm. to fit. And you say, oh, by the way, I'm a Gemini. Of course, it doesn't, it'll, it'll be a little bit of a tweak, but really they'll probably go, oh, but what's your rising sign then? Or whatever. Like there's a way to tweak it back in there, right? I think that, while we're talking about astrology, I think it can have real value. All of that said, I think it can have real value just like the, the aging or anything else, a system that lets you sort of sort and filter in a certain way and bring reason and order and calmness to yourself. I'm all in favor of it. I'm all in favor of, of, of anybody taking the best bits of systems and, and incorporating them into their lives. Now, if they're making decisions on whether to mm -hmm. bomb Russia, like mm -hmm. Ronald Reagan and Nancy were doing based on their astrologer, I've got an issue with that, right? Or if you're making a decision on who you should or shouldn't date based on astrology, I would challenge you to be a little more open-minded than that. Probably losing 13% of the audience here, but I don't think that there's anything wrong with you saying, hey... If you're going to lead with astrology, I'm going to lead with science. And now we know where we're at because it's going to come up later. But you do it in a kind way. You know, you don't have to say, well, you know, mm -hmm. your worldview right. is bullshit. 
You just say, I accept that's cool. I find it super interesting. I'm a Sagittarius, which they tell me means this and that. And sometimes that applies. Sometimes it doesn't. Science tells me that your entire star charts are 2000 years misaligned, which also means that they're 23 days off, I think. And then they go, what? And then you can have a science-based conversation around this idea that star charts, that the stars in relationship to the earth move over time. And the astrology, Western astrology system has not been updated in thousands of years. And so if you're born on, like I am, June 10th, mm-hmm. it's not Gemini at that point. It's whatever comes before it. Taurus? I think Taurus before Gemini. And so that's the science. And now you can have a great <coughs> conversation with somebody in astrology about the science of astrology where you're both engaged. I think we just kind of shit all over astrology right there in a super nice club podcast. Yeah, well, I and that, that gets at the crux of yeah. what I'm you know, <laughs> looking at here is that there is something about even just simple expressions of disagreement or of non-support or whatever that people associate with not niceness. Like, it's, it's not nice to... Right. to kind of explicitly disagree with someone in front of other people, say, or something like this. And I hope that actually niceness could be a tool for being even more impactful in our disagreements. Like, obviously the world is really complicated and hard to understand. And there's a, there's a good chance that, well, we see that all human beings have attempted to piece things together as, as well as they could. And there's a good chance that even when the places where they're kind of factually wrong or incoherent or uh, more or less off, that they could still be useful and have some qualities that, that make them supportive for people like living their life in a better way. There yeah. might also be invisible ways in which they're kind of being compromised, like the, the dating thing. Like, how could you be an avid participant in astrologer and not have a kind of a reflexive kind of set of assumptions that arises when you hear and if the if the system isn't true then why would you even pay attention to it i think that you have to believe in the system a little bit and once you do that just comes with your empowered sense that you understand things about the world and the way people work and stuff so you know it's very common that people are like oh yeah me and scorpios are like no way so right. yeah i'm exactly. torn because i do think that a lot of these things are are useful and i almost feel like it would be rude to kind of take stuff like that away without offering some other way to kind of stay connected. But that's not always easy to have in the same conversation. So sometimes I wonder if I should just, instead of dissecting and dismantling, which is comes naturally to me and I find it even passion in that, that instead just pointing at something else and building up the thing that I am excited about and letting my digressions be more just in like in play and jest and not necessarily kind of confrontive. Right. And everything that I just said was an example Mm -hmm. of like a confrontive approach. And I wouldn't actually, I used to on social media, one-on-one with somebody who's into astrology. Mm -hmm. We have great conversations. Like I I know I wouldn't be combative. Like a good friend of mine, Tim Sinnott is one of the smartest guys I know. Very fact, science-based human being in his in his life, in his career, and who he is, also deeply into astrology. And I come from over here, which is, man, that's crazy talk. And he comes from over here going, I understand why you think it's crazy talk, but here's something you may not know. And we'll have these conversations and I'll always come out of it going, huh, I really see why that works for Tim. I really see how that's helpful for him. And it does not make him Mm -hmm. a prejudgmental human. 
in these ways. And if, if everybody who's into horoscopes was like mm-hmm. Tim, I got no issues with it. It's kind of like people who are into any faith, right? Sometimes you meet people who are, who are very, very, very mm-hmm. uh, dogmatic and rigid, and they proselytize like mad about their religion. And you're just like, ugh. And then you meet other people who are just as, as worshipful, but they're more embracing. They're more secure. If you're super secure in your faith, whatever your faith may be, and that includes astrology, mm-hmm. you don't get offended. You just don't. So if people are, are listening to what you and I are saying about astrology and getting offended, that points to maybe some work that needs to be done on their secure mm-hmm. feelings about that system. It also points to you and I kind of being assholes about it, you know, in a way. I mean, that's fair, right? Because we're on, in our minds, we're kind of defending science, something we're passionate about because we see a world that is going to hell uh, because people are not Mm -hmm. giving science its due in many cases. And so we have a world that's literally uh, burning every day. And that is ineffably sad. And it's hard to not lash out and say, Our planet is burning because we're not paying attention to facts. We're trying to defend our shared globe, our shared planet, our shared existence, everything on it. So to not be fierce about that, I think would be weird. I think it's weird. I think it's weird if if people who are concerned with the future of life on earth are not loud about it. I question their passion. Into it. Yeah. I mean, you know, we got to shout. Somebody's got to shout. You know, and then people will say, well, you know, shouting just turns people off. Like, well, yeah. what, do you, what do you want to do? Well, and shouting is hard to listen, you know, too. Mm-hmm. I, on the prag- pragmatic part of it, yeah. uh, there's some people who I mostly agree with, but don't fully. And they'll get, you know, they get past the mic because they are passionate and charismatic and stuff. But they, 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 maybe they overstate mm-hmm. the case. Maybe it's like over alarmist or something, or maybe it comes mm-hmm. packaged with their own unique yeah. kind of... They're mostly with us, and then all of a sudden they've got like your friend who's like sciencey, and then all of a sudden has astrology too. So I think that we probably we benefit from having all the different roles. I'm not a yeller. I hope if I find myself in that moment, I try and take a step back. And I love what you're saying about how like well, if people are triggered by things, not only do we have to like admit that it's okay to be a, like that we're willing to offend. That's just part of the thing. Um, it's that dogmatic relationship that they're holding with the knowledge that's making it harder to kind of coexist with someone who doesn't agree with them. So, well, To be clear on that, when I was triggered by things, there are some things, uh, racism, sexism, things like that. If you're triggered by that, it doesn't mean that you're not secure. I'm specifically talking mm-hmm. about faith-based reactions. If you truly believe in uh, – and I come from a family of mm-hmm. multiple religions, Catholics, atheists, Jews, other, I have a, my degree was in religious studies. So this is stuff that's fascinated me my whole life. And the people who are just comfortable Mm -hmm. with the relationship, let's say with God, Mm -hmm. really hard to rattle their cages. It really is. They might think, oh, poor so-and-so, they're going to burn in hell, but they're, they're comfortable enough that any attack on what, on their system, Mm -hmm. it just flows right off because Mm -hmm. that attack Mm -hmm. is wrong. Why defend right. something? Especially if they're yelling at. Yeah. It's curious yeah. you're just dis- you're making the distinction. Oh, this is faith-based systems, but there's people who are analyzing a lot of modern kind of social and political movements through a, ra- a lens of religiosity. 
I like people like that John McCorder st- stuff mm-hmm. about the religiosity of anti-racism, and people are looking at Trumpism as a form of r- religiosity. People are looking at environmental, like a, kind of alarmism, as a religiosity. And Absolutely. people are finding Absolutely. meaning. Yep. They do kind of have faith in certain statements that may or may not be falsifiable, or maybe they're even false. And holding them in that kind of rigid way that comes so naturally to, you know, we're made to learn. It's so hard to unlearn. That's just kind of one of the foundational challenges of human beings, especially living in a world where it's changing so fast. We kind of absorb these ideas early on, it's, and it's so comes so naturally to learn things. But we don't really have a built-in mechanism for, like, taking a, piece, a culture out of a person and replacing it with another kind. Like, that's something we're trying to, like figure out how to do and maybe stuff like yoga is part of the 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 mix of things that we're trying you know how can i soften up my sense of identity so mm-hmm. that i can kind of purge what's n- no longer needed and invite in more useful stuff but yeah there's there's not a huge gap from my perspective between the kind of religious faiths and political faiths i agree you know the religious and the political taint and color everything right now at least in mm-hmm in our world, the one that, that we share. And the tribalization is insane. You were talking about taking one part of culture and replacing it with another type of culture. I just wonder sometimes, way out of my depth here, but if tribalization isn't built into our, our mm-hmm. genetic code, right? We're going to have our, our, our yoga tribes. We're going to have our Oregonians mm-hmm. who hate Californians, that tribe. We're gonna <laughs> San have Francisco hates LA, LA hates San Francisco. I mean, when yeah. I, <laughs> yeah, when I went to high school, you know, we chanted out like yeah. our class years against each other. Yeah, your your high school hates the other high school, yeah. but each class is against the other class. There's this tribal, this this warring mm-hmm. nature exactly. within us that I don't know what to do about that. I don't know how to get us to come together. I do believe very strongly that a truly nicer world has much Mm -hmm. less tribalization. I thought that maybe COVID would bring us together, that whole like the the common enemy thing. In this case, it seems like it might've contributed to the exaggeration. You know, it's pushing everyone away from the center. Yeah, Yeah, it hasn't, Mm -hmm. we're not at our best right now. I still believe that we can do better. I don't know if we will do better, but I certainly know that I would like to learn how to be part of being better. Now, my better and your better are probably not the same thing. They're probably pretty close, but I don't know if they're the same as what percentage of the world, you know, would share our version of what a better world looks like. Because there's not just politics and religion, there's also economic philosophies that split people wildly. Redistribute wealth, what? You communist. Mm -hmm. These are big things. Have Uh, you read the uh, Jonathan Haidt? Righteous Mind. Uh huh. I have. Oh man, that book I love that time book. to get through. That was, <laughs> book was much smarter than me. I thought that that was one of the most useful, like kind of practical guides to opening my heart to conservatism and like kind of these worldviews that I haven't understood before. Mm-hmm. And kind of getting at that, we there is a universality of like kind of the, the instinctual, built-in moral systems, but they kind of expressed in these various ways and like even something like fairness like everyone agrees fairness is 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 better than non-fairness but but what fairness is Mm -hmm. can you know like is fairness that everyone has the same opportunities the same access the same wealth or is 
fairness, a true meritocracy where whatever you do, you get to keep and like whatever you build, you get to keep. And even just kind of seeing how both of those are, I think, sincere aspirations towards fairness, but that they that they butt heads and they're like kind of, they're probably both dangerous to go fully into either direction, but they're both also like kind of mm -hmm. legit as philosophies. And so like the job of a society is to kind of dynamically negotiate where can we find enough overlap that we can all kind of play along and coexist while we're here. In a lot of ways, I think that that project is getting easier with technology. We have the means to do so much and there's so much abundance in our world now and there's so much, we've kind of made so much progress in safety and education and we have Wikipedia like, and the, the list goes on and on and on. It's, it's so incredible. Yeah. And so now, how are we going to get to that point of cooperation so that we can actually start to solve the real problems that do exist as they continue to arise inevitably they will my contribution is to stay soft to stay curious to respect the humanity of all the differences to to do my best to listen and feedback to them that i understand where they're coming from and then start seeing how gracefully i can actually embody and express the world that that i want to live in well, here's my big takeaway from talking to you now for the past uh, couple of hours is that, and as we've just sort of openly riffed on things, you know, you're someone who I look to, as I said before, that inspires me just the way you carry yourself through the world. I'm like, oh yeah, to, for me to be my nicer self, I would like to learn some of the lessons that, that this guy over here is embodying. And yet we're having this conversation about making the world a nicer place and we're not afraid to expose some elements of our worldviews that some people who are listening might think, well, those aren't very nice. Mm -hmm. Like, we're all wrestling with this. We're all trying to figure it out. Just because I have a super nice club and a podcast about being nicer and, and the passion of your work doesn't mean I've come remotely close to figuring it out. And I love the fact that I can be on here and just sort of be with you and not be covering anything up and not be ashamed of it. You know, like, yeah, sometimes I'm kind of a jerk. And sometimes I approach conversations the wrong way when there's somebody whose worldview I don't agree with. I'm just trying to get better at it. I'm trying to be mindful about it. And uh, I put my foot in my mouth about as often as I, <laughs> as I eat dinner. It's, it's, in other words, yeah. on a daily basis. But if I were to beat myself up, and I used to beat myself up mm. a lot about yeah. hypocrisies, because hypocrisy is actually a beautiful thing. It's, as Michael Franti put it back in his spearhead days, or no, his uh, disposable hero days, mm -hmm. hypocrisy is the greatest luxury. It's something that we can learn a lot from. We don't have to be afraid of being hypocrites. I, I think to live is to be a hypocrite, you know, on an almost daily basis, as long as we're paying attention to it and learning from it. I appreciate you going down that road today of just trying to pick at what are these things that we can do to fight for our nicer world, even though they don't feel comfortable and they might not feel, look, or sound nice all the time. Thank you for this. So thanks for that. And thank you for that. Can't wait for this beast COVID yeah. to get over because Ojai's not far. Love to come up and hang out, check out your I'd studio up in the in the canyon. Uh, thanks for your time. Really appreciate it. I really do, Oliwa, Stefan, <laughs> Sparkle Tooth. You brilliant man. You know. Um, so great to get to meet you in this way and i would love to kind of chat anytime absolutely with podcast or no podcast appreciate your company we will and folks to find this shining human fastest way is instagram at dear future dear underscore future dear as in 
Dear Sam, not as in the mammal. Deer as in um, something that you worship at a Japanese <laughs> temple. Yes, the mammal. Not there the mammal. <laughs> Trying to find it. All right. So add Dear Future. Thank you very Peace much. Tough. Thank you. Uh, can't wait Be to nice. see you soon. So there you have it. A super nice conversation with Stefan Oliwa, Sparkles, Newell. It was just a great guy with a lot of interesting thoughts. This was a rambling conversation. You might not agree with all of it. You know, I might not agree with all of it tomorrow, and that's okay. The, the, the question is, can we disagree without putting on this false politeness? It's okay to uh, duke it out a little bit like you do at home in the family and not feel like it's personal because it isn't personal. It's person to person. It's not necessarily the same thing as personal. Next week's guest is an artist uh, who I've admired for a really long time. Her name is Isabel Samaras, and you're going to love her. Very different conversation than today's, but valuable nonetheless. Thank you for being part of the Super Nice Club. Thank you for listening. Thanks for your patience. Thanks for your grace. Thanks for working to make the world 10% nicer. If there's anything about this podcast today that you liked or enjoyed, maybe, maybe share it with your friends or your enemies. Share it with somebody because this is a crowded world podcasting and to get the word out and to get some success with podcasting, the only way that's going to happen is if if y'all are passing this thing along. Appreciate that in advance. Love you a whole bunch. Stay nice.